Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Welcome into Outkick the Show Wednesday edition. I hope all of you are having a fantastic Wednesday, as I just said, wherever you may be across this great world. Uh, and we've got a lot to dive into. Gambling picks, college football are going to go up. I've been busy this morning. I uh, just finished Clay and Buck. I'm going to go right and publish them in the next 45 minutes or an hour. Uh, so all of that is still to come, but got a lot to dive into here. Um, and so I want to start here. I'm going to count down to the midterm on November 8th, every day that I'm doing this show, which I think I'm going to be able to do it every day this week and every day next week, because I'm going to be in town, I believe. And I got to tell you, the red wave is building and it may end up turning into a red tsunami. So what I like to do to try to forecast where things are headed is look at two things, all right? I look at the polling data. I'm kind of a poll nerd. I look at everything. But also, even more significantly, I look at the gambling odds. So you can gamble on uh, on the American elections, certainly offshore and overseas. There are a lot of different markets where they do it. They have a market called Predicted here in the United States where they allow it to be done in small dollars. And so I like to look at the gambling odds and see where the money is moving and what that might tell us. Now, people out there can say, well, the gambling odds don't tell you exactly what's going to happen. No, you're right. Just like the polls don't tell you exactly what's going to happen either. I mean, we've certainly seen the polls were massively wrong in 2016. They were substantially wrong in 2020 again. We'll see how they do for the midterms right now, but all of the polls are breaking in the direction of the Republicans. Uh, in the House, and let me just say this, everybody go vote, all right? Regardless of what your political beliefs are, if you are watching or listening to me right now, go vote, because ultimately, voters make these choices. So when I'm giving you predictions, my predictions are predicated on people actually going out and voting. I'm going to vote. I tell you exactly who I end up voting for, for have for my entire life as a public figure. I tell you exactly what I decided to do, where I'm going to vote, how I'm going to vote, why, not telling you what you should do, just telling you what I am doing. All right. There's not really any competitive races uh, in the state of Tennessee where I am, by the way. Uh, but I will be voting for Republican candidates come uh, come election day. Probably I will vote early would be my guess, just in case I'm not in town for whatever reason on election day or some busyness comes up or whatever else. So just putting that into perspective, Dr. Oz is now leading in Pennsylvania. After being behind in the gambling markets for his entire campaign, Dr. Oz now has the lead uh, for the first time in Pennsylvania, uh, he is the favorite. John Fetterman is now the underdog. This is the first time that this has happened uh, since this election uh, was laid out. 
Um, and if you look at the 90-day trajectory in this race, and I've tweeted this out. You can go check it if you're interested in it. Uh, Dr. Oz, I believe, I'm looking right now at the predicted markets, got down as low as 27 cents, I think, maybe even lower than 27 cents. Around that is the all-time low, where 26 cents, I think, on October 23rd. That means uh, that you only had to bet 26 cents to win back a dollar. Basically, he was a pretty substantial underdog. And at that time, uh, that that was kind of his nadir, so to speak. Uh, th- there was a massive favorite for John Fetterman. That's on the 24th of August, 25th of August. Around then was the absolute apex of the Fetterman campaign. And now Dr. Oz is the favorite. He has reversed what at the time appeared, at least based on the polls, to be a double-digit win, uh, double-digit lead for Fetterman. So why is this significant? Because in the Senate, the only race now, based on polling and gambling data 20 days out, and it's significant now to look because people are starting to vote, so some of these votes are now getting locked in because early voting, for instance, in Georgia is underway. Many other states that have competitive elections will be doing it sooner rather than later. So the only state where Democrats had a chance to pick up a Senate seat based on polling and data was, and still is, Pennsylvania. And now Dr. Oz has moved into the favorite role there. Uh, Ohio, J.D. Vance is going to win comfortably over Tim Ryan. Uh, In North Carolina, Ted Budd is going to win comfortably. There's no other state that Democrats have really been able to put in play in terms of flipping an existing Republican seat. So Pennsylvania is their last hope. Meanwhile, I believe that Republicans are going to win. I've been telling you this for a while. Herschel Walker is going to win down in Georgia. The numbers are now coming in on his side. We know Brian Kemp is going to trounce Stacey Abrams. I'm going to talk about here in a minute. I believe Blake Masters is making up ground very rapidly in Arizona. A poll showed him just one point behind Mark Kelly. I think he's going to get the win there. Uh, And certainly in Nevada, where uh, you have Adam Laxalt favored over Cortez Masto, He is going to be a pickup there. So my prediction right now, and I'll adjust this every day, I'll be honest with you guys, is I think the Republicans are going to pick up three Senate seats. And I think when all is said and done, it's going to be Republicans 53, Democrats 47 for a net plus three in the Republican Party. Now, Colorado with Joe O'Day, it's in play if there really is a big Republican tide. Uh, in uh, Washington with Tiffany Smiley, it's in play against Patty Murray if there is a big Republican tie. But in the Senate, 20 days out, my prediction right now, Republicans plus three based on the uh, polling data and based on uh, all of the gambling markets. I think that is where we are headed most likely. Pickups in Georgia, pickup in Nevada, and a pickup in Arizona and a preservation, a maintenance in Pennsylvania where I think Dr. Oz is going to beat John Fetterman. Uh, So that is the latest there. In terms of the governor's races, again, the House Republicans are going to win the House comfortably. In terms of governor races, 
I think Lee Zeldin's got a chance. I think that Christine Drazen in Oregon is going to be the first Republican elected in Oregon since 1982. Um, I believe that uh, Tudor Dixon in Michigan has a lot of great momentum behind her. I think there's a good chance for her now in the next 20 days to take out Gretchen Whitmer. Um, If I were a Democrat running, I would be really nervous right now. And you can also look, I should add, as well as the polling data and uh, everything else that's going on there, you can look at where Joe Biden is having to campaign and where Democrats are spending money. They're spending money on some congressional districts that Biden won by 14 points. And if you're like, well, big deal, who cares? Remember, in Virginia last year, Glenn Youngkin swung Virginia 10 points, right? To go from a Biden plus 10 state to a Republican win. I think there are a lot of plus 10 Biden seats, whether it's states, whether it is uh, congressional districts, where there's a lot of nervousness setting in. So that is my analysis of what's going on right there. I also would point out that they tried to knock out Herschel Walker with all of the personal shenanigans attacks, and it didn't work. There was a little bit of a dip, and then I think most people saw through it and said, hey, my my choice here is, is binary, right? I'm either in Georgia going to support the Reverend Raphael Warnock or I am going to support Herschel Walker. And really, that choice comes down to do I want to give a rubber stamp to Joe Biden or not? If you do, and that's your right, you should vote for Raphael Warnock. He is a rubber stamp for the Biden administration. If you want to vote, however, to check the Biden administration, to reign in their power, as the vast majority of Georgians believe should happen, then you should vote for Herschel Walker. Right now, Joe Biden has around a 40% approval rating in Georgia. If you support uh, Joe Biden, you should vote for Herschel, uh, for uh, Reverend Warnock. If you don't, if you're part of the 60% that does not support Joe Biden, why would you want to give him a rubber stamp senator like Warnock who can spend trillions of dollars to bring out more support for Biden. And I'll just point this out. Warnock's trying to pretend that Biden's not on his side, not having him campaign for him, not having him show up in Georgia at all. And I think Fetterman is in for a rough go because he's trying to call in Joe Biden to campaign with him in Pennsylvania. And I don't think that's going to respond very well to Pennsylvanians because it's just going to remind them, oh, right, if I vote for this uh, guy Fetterman, then I'm supporting Joe Biden. I don't think that's going to play very well. I think this is a miscalculation. I think the Fetterman camp is desperate, and that's why their wife uh, of Fetterman is demanding that all the media apologize for being too tough on her husband. Um, this is uh, this is a mess. And so I think Herschel's going to win. I think Oz is going to win. I think Laxalt's going to win. And I think Blake Masters is going to win, and we're going to end up plus three. Uh, Okay, let's get into uh, some more direct uh, sports-related stories out there. Alabama fallout continues for the Alabama-Tennessee game. Alabama says that they are now investigating wide receiver Jermaine Burton, who, uh, based on a video that one of our writers at OutKick posted, uh, appears that wide receiver Jermaine Burton slapped a University of Tennessee fan Uh, as he was exiting the field. There is video up. The girl says that she was hit. And I think this is significant, right? Some people say, well, this shouldn't have been on the field. 
I understand that argument. Here's a better baseline rule for every man that is watching this right now. Don't hit girls. Really simple. My dad taught it to me. I teach it to my boys. If I found out that any of my boys ever hit a woman for any reason, they are, by the way, 14, 12, and 8, I would be furious with them and feel as if I had failed as a parent if that happened, right? I just would. Because I've managed through 43 years of life, to my knowledge, certainly as a grown man or as an adolescent man, maybe when I was four or five, who knows, maybe we got into brawls all the time. No grown man, no adolescent man, no one who aspires to manhood at all should ever hit a woman. It's a really easy rule to put in place. It's something that every man should be told as a young boy, and it is a failure of society if you, for any reason, ever find yourself in a position where you hit a woman, period. I'm always disappointed when stories like these come out and there is a video or there's evidence that appears to suggest that somebody should ha- has hit a woman, it is indefensible, all right? Period. Doesn't matter what the consequences are, uh, or sorry, what the situation is, but certainly here, you're talking about a girl in a sundress or whatever skirt, whatever. I'm not great at describing women's clothing, but like a college-age girl, dressed like a college-age girl, would be dressed to go to an SEC football game, getting hit by a football player. Girl was not a threat to him. She doesn't appear to have really done anything at all to him, and he just hit her. Now, this is a danger of storming the field, I understand, but a lot of guys out there, Listen carefully to me. This is indefensible. So if you are getting into social media mentions and you are saying, well, she shouldn't have been on the field. She shouldn't have had her phone out recording as she likely was, as every single person just about likely was as they went onto that field. You shouldn't ever be in a position, period, where you strike a woman. Certainly not when you are a fully grown man and a small girl is in your vicinity, whether it's at a football game, whether it's at a bar, whether it's at a frat house, whether it is in your life uh, at any point in time, okay? So, period. It's an easy rule. And if you are out there and you're a boy and no man in your life has ever told you this, listen to me, don't do it, all right? Telling you the same thing that I tell my boys, telling you the same thing that my dad was told me. I just, I don't understand how this ever happens. You just don't do it, okay? Um, And so if Jermaine Burton did this, as the video appears to suggest that he did, then Alabama should in some way, I believe, punish him because of the message. And I'm sure Nick Saban was raised the same way that I was. And I bet just about every Alabama football coach was raised the same way that I was too. And I bet just about everybody in the Alabama Athletic Department as well, you don't hit girls, period. Um, Now, you know, if it's a guy, guy gets in your face on the field, taunting you, yelling at you, I still don't think you should hit him because, again, words are not violence. Violence is violence. But it's a different discussion if it's a guy. And it just is. Can't hit a girl. And so any Alabama fan defending this, anybody in social media mentions defending this, 
I think you're a pathetic uh, example of manhood, frankly, uh, because you're resorting to a violent act against a woman who is no threat to you whatsoever. And that is something that should never be done no matter what. So that's my story there. Uh, we'll see what ends up happening. Uh, but that video is up on OutKick. It certainly has been circulating widely on social media. And Alabama has issued a statement saying they are looking into it. Hey, Clay Travis here. We'll be right back. But first, here's a word. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, Right now, you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Uh, speaking of looking into it, the NFL continues to investigate uh, Jim Ursay and Dan, uh, sorry, Dan Snyder, the owner of the Washington Redskins, now renamed the Washington Commanders. And yesterday, Jim Ursay came out and said that he thought Dan Snyder, there was enough evidence, basically, and I'm paraphrasing, that uh, Dan Snyder should be forced to sell the team. Uh, and Dan Snyder has certainly, it appears, intimated that he would not go quietly and that he has evidence that he would bring to bear uh, against anyone who would try to force him to sell the team. Uh, I will wait till the full evidence comes out. Uh, before, you know, making some sort of determination. But in general, I am not a fan of owners being forced to sell teams. I'm just not, based on non-criminal activity. Now, if it's determined that Dan Snyder engaged in some form of criminal activity, maybe my answer will change. I have not as yet seen any suggestion that Dan Snyder himself engaged in criminal activity. It's also hard, I think in general, to get really fired up about NFL ownership battles. When the punishment for Dan Snyder would be you have to sell your team and make billions of dollars in profit, it doesn't feel much like a punishment to me. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe a lot of you out there are like, that'll really show him. He's going to make billions of dollars off his great business decision to buy the Washington Redskins 20 years ago. Maybe, maybe that's like a big punishment. I, I don't know. To me, it's like a valedictory moment. If you were smart enough to buy an NFL franchise over 20 years ago, you have made billions of dollars being forced to sell. Again, I don't agree with it. But being forced to sell and then everyone know exactly how many billions of dollars your astute business acumen led you to make does not seem like a substantial punishment to me. Again, maybe there's a lot of people out there like, this will really show him. He only made $6 billion off the team and now we all know it. I think it's weird. Uh, Jim Ursay, owner of the Colts, uh, we'll see what ends up happening in this battle in general. Uh, my belief is, hey, let's see what the evidence is. Then we'll come out with a uh, uh, come out with an opinion. Uh, but uh, this battle is, uh, I think, intriguing. Tua is back. I'll talk about this tomorrow a little bit more as we start to move into the NFL weekend. But we just had Senator Marco Rubio on from Florida, monster Dolphins fan. Uh, the Dolphins have lost three games in a row as Tua's health has become one of the biggest stories, certainly anywhere in the NFL. 
And I like the Dolphins with Tua back. It's amazing how quickly the storyline has changed from uh, like this, uh, this whole universe of, um, hey, everybody out there, uh, it's important for you to know that Tua is a bust. He doesn't deserve money to. Now a lot of people being like, well, boy, the Dolphins really need to get Tua back out on that field because, man, he's a really good quarterback. It's just interesting to me how quickly that narrative changed. Another NFL story that is out there. They are now talking about extending Roger Goodell's commissionership again. Uh, I mean, Roger Goodell is going to end up a billionaire before this whole thing is over from being the commissioner of the NFL. And the NFL owners voted 31-1 to uh, to take uh, a go and try to re-sign Roger Goodell to a longer-term commissionership. Only vote against it, Jerry Jones. And I got to say, I kind of appreciate, and he evidently got into it with Robert Kraft, according to reporting in the league, um, uh, in the meeting, I kind of appreciate that Jerry Jones is still so angry at Roger Goodell over the suspension of Ezekiel Elliott, which to me, and I told you at the time, I thought was unjustified, that Jerry Jones is willing to be the lone dissenting vote against Roger Goodell negotiations beginning and commencing for an extension of his commissionership. Uh, So I do appreciate that. A serious story out there, and I hope I get this uh, pronunciation right, but an Iranian athlete by the name of Elnaz Rakabi Elnaz Rakabi, and if I got that wrong, certainly I apologize. As many of you know, I'm not great at pronunciations in general for anybody's name. Uh, Iranian athlete, she is a rock climber who was participating in an event in South Korea where she was rock climbing there. Um, And as part of that event, she chose not to wear the hijab on her head that many Iranian women are now rebelling against uh, the Iranian dictators there who require that women wear the hijabs. And as a result, a lot of women have been killed (coughs) throughout these protests. And so, this is a big story. Okay, so this Iranian woman is is not in her home country. She is in South Korea competing in an athletic event. She doesn't wear the hijab, making a statement in some way about her belief that Iranian women deserve the right to make that choice or not make that choice. And she now is imprisoned. I think this is important. There's a lot of talk about athletes and using their voice and everything else. And what I would say in general is, isn't the silence that occurs for true injustice, particularly as it pertains to women's athletes, really staggering and startling and disappointing in this country? So you have men who decide to identify as women and they're competing against women and winning championships. And all these outspoken feminists, all these outspoken female athletes don't say a word. And here you have women in Iran raising up and fighting for basic human rights, the right to choose what they wear in athletic competition. And I've seen hardly any American athletes, hardly any American women speak out about this. Let's really think about this. This has been an argument I've made for a long time. 
A lot of the U.S. women's national team members, for instance, chose to denigrate America on the world stage and talk about how bad America was. And I said at the time, wait a minute, U.S. women's soccer is really good because of American exceptionalism and because of the protections we give women and the rights we give women in this country to participate in athletics. <clears throat> you know, and this will probably be the case again. You know, you can almost pick the winner of every women's soccer match just by analyzing how much freedom women have in the country. People talk about, oh, why are the American women so much better at soccer relative to the rest of the world than the American men? And the answer is because American freedoms for women are extraordinary around the world. Most great male athletes, regardless of what country those men are in, get the opportunity to excel at their sport. Same thing isn't true for women. So why do so few women actually speak out on behalf of other women around the world? It's far more common for American women's athletes to denigrate America than it is to try to uplift the rest of the world to American values. Why is that? And why is it falling to me? And why is it falling to OutKick to be sharing a story that many of you would not have otherwise heard about this imprisoned Iranian athlete who is there because she refused to wear a hijab during athletic competition that was occurring outside of her home country? Why aren't more athletes in America and around the world who have the fortitude and good fortune, I should say, to be free, why are they not speaking out? This should be a massive outpouring of support for this Iranian athlete from women around the world about the unacceptable conditions that Iran is enforcing upon its female athletes. Instead, it's mostly silence. Uh, much less serious. But... Incredibly praiseworthy. Did you guys see the two Wyoming wrestlers who fought a bear, a grizzly bear? One wrestler was being attacked by a grizzly bear in Wyoming. His teammate, I don't know what you guys would do. I'd like to think I would do what the teammate did. A lot of guys would have run. Your buddy gets attacked by a grizzly bear. How many of you jump into the fight and draw the grizzly bear's attention away from your friend and to you. Now, both of these guys have survived, but this is a tremendous story of friendship, of athletic competition, fealty, of being able to say for the rest of your lives, we fought a grizzly bear and we survived. I love this story. It's up at OutKick if you haven't already seen it. It's an opportunity for everybody out there who reads it to think to themselves, okay, how would I, how would I uh, respond if one of my friends got attacked by a freaking grizzly bear? What would I do? Would I run and hide? Would I leave him behind? Would I gauge in the fight with him? I like to think that I would also fight. I think it's probably less than half guys out there. I don't know what percentage of women, but half the guys out there that probably would legitimately attack the grizzly bear to save their friend. I think a lot of people would freeze. I think a lot of people would run away and then come back later. Um, 
Grizzly Bear attack. These two wrestlers fought it off. Finally, I've confessed to this for a while. I am super into the royal family. Occasionally, I will talk about it on this show. I embarrassingly care far too much about all the drama coming out of Great Britain surrounding the royal family. Did you ever watch that show, Deal or No Deal, back in the day? Um, I watched, I think Howie Mandel hosted it. It was a game show. I don't, I don't know what station it was on. But part of the game show was they had a lot of, um, uh, a lot of women who were holding briefcases. And I don't even remember how exactly the deal or no deal concept played out, but you would pick a number and the brief briefcase was held by an attractive girl. Um, and then they would, you know, walk over with the briefcase and, uh, and you know, then you would decide how you play the game from there. Meghan Markle said in a recent interview that she was upset because she wasn't used more on the game show. And I, if you've ever watched this game show, you're only there because you are good-looking, right? And can wear a party dress and look good. That's the job, right? Nobody says to the, the, the girl holding the briefcase, now let's break down what you think about nuclear policy. Look, I don't begrudge anybody who takes advantage of looks to get in the door. I mean, do you think I just got here by accident? I'm one of the best-looking people on the planet. And by the way... I got to make it clear that I'm joking here because somebody will grab it and be like, Clay Travis thinks he's worth... Yeah. I got here because I work hard, all right? But if you happen to be really good looking, I think Meghan Markle's really good looking. You happen to be really good looking and you get a job based on those looks. I don't begrudge you from taking advantage of that opportunity because that gets your foot in the proverbial door. And then... You can take advantage of that opportunity to hopefully leverage it to another opportunity where you get to use your other talents. If you're a smart person, if, you're, uh, if you've got a unique talent, otherwise over and above what you look like, right? The looks get you in the door. Your talents beyond the looks keep you advancing. But what I don't like is when people who got opportunities based on their looks complain that they didn't get enough opportunities based on their looks. Look, the job was hold a briefcase and stand on television. You later got other additional opportunities beyond that. Good for you. That's where your talents took you. But there are a lot of people who want to take a job just based on their looks, and they're happy to be on television, and that's as far as their talents will take them. You chose to take that job. You allowed it to get you in the door to be able to advance. Stop whining. Stop whining. Work harder. The world is not aligned against you. You're making tens of millions of dollars, Meghan Markle, based on minimal talent. I'm going to be honest with you. It's not like she's the greatest actress of her generation. You happen to marry a super global, globally famous uh, prince. And now as a result, you guys are making tens of millions of dollars and living in a massive mansion in California. It's hard for people to feel sorry for you. In the same way that I said earlier, like the NFL ownership drama, when you're losing proposition, if you're Dan Snyder, is you get to make billions of dollars by selling a team, that's not a very big loss. 
And it's hard for people out there when the stakes in their life are, hey, can I afford groceries this week? Can I afford to put gas in my car? Man, I hope I don't get a flat tire because I don't have enough savings to be able to handle something going wrong with my car. When those are the stakes that most people in America are dealing with on a day-to-day basis, complaining because you weren't taken seriously enough on a game show when you dressed up in a cocktail dress and held a a briefcase and probably got paid decently for doing that, it's not going to register very well with the American public. Just a tip. I got a lot of them. I'm Clay Travis, DBAP, unless you need to SBAP. I'll give you updates again. We're going to count down every day to go. I also want to let you know House of the Dragon season finale, I believe, is scheduled for this Sunday unless it's gotten moved for some reason and I haven't seen it. I will do an immediate live reaction show to that on Sunday. I will be here uh, Thursday and Friday as well doing Outkick the Show. Uh, And then we're doing a really cool event with Big Noon kickoff this weekend. I'm going to be at Luke Bryan's house. Uh, and we are helping to raise money uh, for congenital heart uh, disease in pediatric children, uh, which is a, a huge killer of young children uh, soon after they are born and a huge challenge for so many parents out there. Uh, we are going to be doing an event for that as part of Big Noon Kickoff. Next weekend, I'm going to be back up in Knoxville, at least right now is the plan for the biggest game in the South of that weekend, which is Kentucky-Tennessee. Looks like the weekend after we'll be on the road in Athens for Tennessee, Georgia. And then the week after that, it looks like at least right now, based on how the schedule is breaking down, uh, that we will be on the road for Alabama at Ole Miss in the Grove, which I cannot wait for. Love all of you. DBAP, unless you need to SBAP. I'm Clay Travis. This has been